Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Thank you all for a great Mission Sunday, Pledge Sunday last week, $162,000. And I know more is going to be pledged. A lot of people that are givers that I know were not here on that service, be praying about that. And uh, so we can bless our missionaries. Can you say amen? So good to have Brother Noe and Sister Don with us tonight. And Olivia still with us. Amen. Taking care of some family things while they're here. Aren't we glad to have them? Praise God. Praise God. Look at a few people around and say, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's let the Lord have his way in here tonight. It's Sunday night at the anchor. I said, it's Sunday night at the anchor. We've come to have a move of the Spirit. We've come to be changed. Amen. Now don't look at your neighbor and say you need a makeover. They might take it wrong. I'm glad God gave you a makeover. God, Brother Luke told us that tonight. First Kings 17. Before we read the scripture, I would just want you to ask God to speak to you in revelation of his word. Would you do that? Ask God to speak to you and give you revelation of his word. Lord, we ask that the anointing of the Lord would be upon me. your spirit would move there would be revelation in this room to help us that applies individually to help us get to Mount Carmel to help us get to that place of revival fires in Jesus name we pray everyone say amen 1st Kings chapter 17 verse 1 and Elijah the Tishbite Elijah the Tishbite who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Because they had turned their backs to the Lord, God used the prophet to cause the heavens to shut up. You'll find for three years there was no rain in Israel, Samaria. Man, I don't want God to have to get my attention. I don't want God to have to get my attention. I want to listen. You say, well, why did the rain stop? Because they were, they were confused on who to worship. Is it Jehovah or is it Baal? And Baal means the God of the rain. So guess what the man of God did? He shut up any influence that Baal could get any glory for three years. Come on, we serve the God of the rain. Aren't you glad you know who he is tonight? He's not Baal. Somebody say, he's not Baal. Amen. With that being said, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, Hide thyself by the brook Cherith. Everybody say Cherith. That is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Sometimes God causes you to leave where you are to go over there. When you get there, everybody say God will move you there. When you get there, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread, flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell, everybody say, there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there 
to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. You're gonna find in the next chapter that the Lord speaks to him and tells him to go to Mount Carmel. I'd like to preach to you about this journey to Mount Carmel, about revival fires continue. Do you believe they can continue? How many believe they can continue? I believe God wants to bring revival to this community. I do. I believe there's, there's, there's Christians all over this community that are asleep right now. There's children that were raised in church. I believe that there are, I believe that there are people all over that have been touched by God that are dormant right now. That they think there's no hope for them. But I believe something's going to trigger that. And they're going to wake out of sleep and say, I want to be what God wants me to be. How many believe that for this community and beyond? I believe it. I believe it. Oh, hallelujah. Look at two or three people before you're seated and say, revival fires continue. You may be seated. The journey is to get to Mount Carmel. Everybody say Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a powerful place. It's a moment. You don't hear a lot about it in Scripture, but certainly once you hear about it, you don't forget about it. Because through the leadership of an evil woman by the name of Jezebel, look at your neighbor and say, don't name your kids Jezebel. She's evil in all her ways. How many know it's truth? She's evil. She's a priestess of Baal. Ahab marries her, brings her into the country, and she, here a little and there a little, started building Baal temples. Just tolerance was there. A wise man once made a statement. He said, you just don't fall into sin. Sin is a progress. It's, it's, it's a tolerance that leads to acceptance and acceptance will lead to participation. Tolerance says, I know it's wrong, but you allow it around you. Acceptance says, I wouldn't do it, but it's okay for you to do it. And that leads to you end up doing it. Be careful what you tolerate. Keep your heart, Brother Tony, you preached here one time. Keep your heart with all diligence. Finn, you memorized it last night. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. We got to guard our heart because there's a Jezebel on the loose. She's an old witch in a new dress. She's still alive. How many know it's true? She is the spirit of Jezebel, the compromise. And what she wanted to do was to silence the voice of the prophets. And she wanted to raise the voice of the bell of the bell prophets. Jezebel was, was a a wicked person in all of her ways. How many know that was true? She wanted to compromise the, the men of God and change their truths. She wanted to change their truths and to make him Baal prophets uh, admired among the children of Israel. It was not long until what happened? Until children of Israel are confused. Who is God? Is it Baal or is it who? Or is it Jehovah? The Bible says they came to a point in their life that they didn't know who to choose. He shows up and he tells Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. Three years. And it didn't rain for three years. He sought for the man of God everywhere. Couldn't find him. He just decided that he was gone. He was dead. You'll find that something happened that day and uh, when he shows up after three years and, and Ahab looks and says, we've looked for you everywhere. We couldn't find you. And he said, it's your fault. It's not raining. He said, oh no, it's not, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's your fault because you and your fathers have forsaken the ways of God and have turned unto what? You've turned unto idols. 
because that God has shut the heavens off. But if you'll repent, and he says to them, he said, let's do this. Let's see who the real God is. He said, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. I don't want us to get to a point to where we don't know who God is. How many know that? To not know who the Lord is. And so they go to Mount Carmel and he says, let's build an altar before the Lord and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And so that's exactly what happened. They built an altar and the Baal prophets stood upon their altar that they built unto the God Baal. And they did and they cut themselves with, with sharp rocks. They danced around their altar they built and nothing happened. I don't know what they said. Maybe they said, um, mani, pani, um, mani, pani, um. I don't know what they said. But they made all kinds of statements trying to get the attention of their God that was not real. How many know there's but one God? There's but one God. Anybody in the building know what his name is tonight? Jesus. Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. In the Old Testament, they knew him as Jehovah. And you'll find that he, they built, they built this, this altar before their God. And, and Elijah, Elijah, a little bit later, they've been up there so long, he's finally getting tired. He says, scream a little louder. Maybe your God's on a far journey. He's been smart, Alec. He was. He says, scream a little louder. Maybe your God is asleep. Oh my goodness. They danced. They shouted and nothing happened until they were exhausted. And he went before the Lord and he built an altar before God. He got 12 stones and he gathered them together. He put wood on there. He put a bullock on there. And then he said to everybody, I need 12 barrels of water. Now you have to remember, it hasn't rained in three years. Hasn't rained in three years. Water's the most valuable thing. You'll find they were sending servants all over trying to find streams so their cattle wouldn't die, so the horses wouldn't die. And they went all of these places trying to find it and they couldn't find it. So if they did have water, it was a valuable thing in the kingdom. And they got 12 barrels of water. Why 12? Because he wanted every tribe to be represented. He wanted everybody to be involved with what was about to happen. Everybody needs to get involved, not just some, but everybody. Can I say to you, the young and the old need to be involved with what God is doing. Amen. Men and women need to be involved with what God is doing. Every tribe, every person. And so that's what they did. They gathered the water and they poured 12 barrels of water. Could you imagine every thirsty soul looking and they're dumping water on the altar? They're dumping water on the altar because the prophet said, God said, dump water on the altar. And they dumped 12 barrels of water on the altar and Elijah bent his knee and he prayed this prayer. It says that it came to pass at the time of the ordering or the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art a God in Israel that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. What I am preaching to you is simply this. He prayed a prayer before God. He wanted the hearts of the people to be turned back to the Lord. Can I say to you that if we're just going to church, we're missing it. But if as a congregation, we want to see people's heart turn back to the Lord, that's what this is about. Every preacher ought to be involved with the heart of man being turned back to the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. I've got loved ones I've been praying for. I've got loved ones I've been praying for, Brother Tyler. And I've been asking God to touch some of my cousins in my prayer time. I've been asking God to turn their heart back to him again. And I believe he's going to do it. How many of you have some people you care about, you want to see their hearts turn back to the Lord? That was the heart of the prophet. God turned this nation back to you. And I realize our nation isn't in the best of condition. But you know what? I'm not giving up on this nation. I believe God could turn this nation's heart back to the Lord one more time before it comes. Do you believe that? I believe he can. 
I believe that he can. And he prayed that prayer. He prayed that prayer. And he said, he said to him, he said to the Lord, turn their heart back again. Verse 38 of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Everybody say the fire of the Lord. I'm not talking about enthusiasm. I'm talking about fire from God. Jesus spoke about this. Jesus talked about the fire. John the Baptist preached about the fire. He said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Can I say we need fiery singing. We need fiery preaching. We need fiery worship. We need fired up young people. We need fired up couples. We need a fiery church, amen. That's walking in the fire of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. We need a church that's on fire. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and watch what they said. And they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. You're talking about a powerful revival when an entire nation of people fall on their face and put their attention back to the Lord. That's revival. Revival was when something starts that comes alive that used to be alive. That's revival. I'm not preaching about a harvest. I'm talking about a revival. It's when saints get revived. People that used to walk this way get revived. When people used to have a ministry, get revived. And I feel in the last days, God's gonna bring a great awakening to this country. I believe God's gonna bring a great awakening to his church. It's not time to sit back and die. It's time to have revival fires to burn again. That's what we need. Somebody say revival fires. When revival fire begin to fall, an old nation fell on their face and knew that it was the Lord. When, when the fire fell, you know what they did? They went and destroyed all the bell prophets. They traced them down to the brook Kedron and destroyed every influence in their, in their life. True revival will not just be something you feel in the altar of the church because of a praying preacher. It's something that you will go home and start removing things out of your life that influence you to do things you shouldn't be doing. It'll cause you to remove movies that aren't right with God. Music that's not right with God. People that lead you the wrong way that aren't right with God. It'll cause you to separate how many know that's true. I'm talking about revival is when you get a clear view of who you are and you get a clear view of who he is. I don't want there to be any wavering in the church of who's God, which God is God. No, no, no. We ought to be absolute. We should be resolute of this is who he is and we are the people of God, the Lord. Somebody jump your feet and shout, the Lord. He is the God. The Lord. He is the God. Amen. Jezebel is still on the loose. How many know it's true? It's a spirit of compromise. Here a little and there a little. What you will find tonight is that revival fire didn't fall by accident. It didn't happen just because of one prayer meeting. Revival fire fell. Why? Because somebody was willing to go on a journey. You'll find that something happened in, in Elijah that I believe prepared him for the Mount Carmel experience. How many of you genuinely want to see a great revival in your family? <laughs> revival in a family will cause a great revival in the church. I think sometimes we're waiting on the whole church to catch it and you might just be the one that's going to be the one to catch it. I believe revivals can start in families. I've seen them in families where it's not long till 70 of them are baptized. One family, impacted. One family, revival. Do you know every one of you are here because there was a revival that started in your family? Somebody shout, it's gonna start with me. And Elijah, who could hear from the Lord, he said, it's not gonna rain for three years. And this is where it began because of their idolatry. What did he do? Elijah, something happened. The Lord, during this drought, he told Elijah, he said, I want you to go to Cherith. He said, go to Cherith. He said, I'm gonna sustain you there. 
I want you to get a chair because I'm going to take care of you there. We can get the chair. Oh, I don't know what it looked like. But it was a flowing brook. It had plenty of water. There was water there. He'd wake up in the morning somewhere stretched out under the stars. When he'd wake up, the ravens would come and bring him meat and bring him bread. He'd stay by the brook Cherith, and that night, guess what? Ravens would come, and they would feed him. I, I, I know it's glamorous to think that ravens are feeding you. but I could care less. I, I personally want women to be fed by a crow. Times are bad when it takes a raven to feed you. You're totally dependent upon God at that moment. There's no toiling. There's no markets. There's no shopping. There's, there's nothing. You are drinking out of a stream and you're waiting on heaven to come. Now, I know that sounds glamorous to you, but when you're the guy with the empty stomach, that's totally dependent upon God. See, it's one thing when we have access and abundance and plenty, but when you have to wait on the Lord, when it's, if he doesn't move, you're hungry. If he doesn't show up, you're done. That's, that's not an easy place to be, is to walk by faith and not by sight. But what he found in that moment is when the supermarkets are closed down, the grasslands are drying up, when the cattle are dying off and the sheep are dying off and there is no wheat in the fields that every single morning he got up, sure enough, as the sun would rise, the ravens would show up and hand him bread and hand him water, hand him bread and hand him meat and right there was a flowing brook. Can I tell you, on this journey to Mount Carmel, each of us will have moments in our life that we have to be totally dependent upon God. That if he doesn't move, I'll never see what I'm supposed to see. That it is a dependence. Cherith is not just a place where the ravens fed him. Cherith has significance because on Elijah's journey, he had to go through some things to get to some places. Look at your neighbor and say, you gotta go through some things to get to some places. I may believe that. And Cherith means a cutting place. And all of us, when we come to the Lord on this journey, there's some things we got to remove from our life. Paul wrote it this way, to mortify therefore those members. Mortify those things in your life that are not like him. You got to cut some things out of your life that are weights even sins and said it's pressured moments that things that you think really do matter really do not matter that on that journey to Mount Carmel you got to learn to remove things from your life that are unnecessary in your world somebody say there is a cutting place we get so held down with weights and baggage and busy and things that aren't necessary that we can't do what God wants to do, us to do so God has to move us to a cherith to learn to be dependent upon him and realize he's my source and my strength. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a cherith in your life. It is a cutting place. He's getting dependent upon it now and God's feeding him. It's as, it's as, consistent, it's as consistent as time. And all of a sudden he wakes up one morning and looks and the, and the brooks dried up. Where are you at now, God? Where's the water at now? Don't you realize it hadn't rained in months? Maybe this time, a year? I don't know how long it's been. But the ravens stopped coming. The brook stops flowing. What am I going to do now, God? Could I say there's some times in your life that the blessings seemingly turn off. The ravens aren't coming from the sky and the water's no longer flowing in the brook. But you've got to depend on the Lord. Because sometimes God knows how to pull the blessing out of our life to move us from Cherith to the next place that he has for us. Because this life is a journey. He never, never intended for us just to be content. He wants us to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Sometimes it takes it takes trials. Sometimes it takes a brook to dry up, a raven to stop coming to get us to the next place we're supposed to be. Can you say amen? Anybody in the building never had the brook to dry up? How many's ever felt the raven stop coming? You know what God said? But don't stay here. This isn't your final destination. 
This is a temporary place. Now I got something else for you, Elijah. I want you to go to Zarephath. Everybody say, get up and go to Zarephath. Oh, he went to Zarephath and he said, when you get there, there's going to be a widow woman that's going to sustain you there. Oh, well, good. I will go. He knew the voice of God. He gets up and he goes to Zarephath. When he gets to Zarephath, he finds the widow woman with a young boy. Young woman or a, a, a widow with a young boy. And he shows up and, and what are you doing? Oh, I'm just grabbing my son and I just enough to eat. We've only got enough food for one last meal. This is what she said. She said, I'm, I'm gathering some sticks. Going to cook this meal and this oil. Make a little cake so my son and I can eat and die. Now, I, I don't know how you would act at that moment. But I think I'd have to say, excuse me just a minute. Lord, when you told me you were going to sustain me, I didn't picture a widow woman having one last meal. I pictured her being a rich widow. Come on, are y'all with me tonight? I pictured her having plenty because that's how you operate, God. You always have plenty. God, I didn't see this. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do? She says she just has enough food for her and her son to eat and to die. He says to her, um, would you go get me something to drink? I'll get you something to drink. She's going to go try to find a little valuable flask of water, wherever it would have been, and get him a drink. And on the way, he says to her, hey, ma'am, if you wouldn't mind, would you fix me a little meal first? Would you make me a cake first? Listen, no preacher worth his sap wants to take the last food from a widow and her kid. I'm not talking about a selfish man. I'm talking about a man of God. No person worth their sap wants to put their hands out to somebody that's going to eat and die. But he had a word from the Lord. He had to override what he was seeing with his eyes to do what God said he was going to do. He had to reach down inside of him and turn some things around in him and obey what God said. You see, when God speaks, it's not always going to show up the way you think it's going to show up. How it, you think it's going to happen is not typically the way it's going to happen. And he said, would you fix me a meal first and I, God is going to sustain you? And Sister Ross, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine him doing it. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. But he just trusted that God was going to sustain him in Zarephath. And guess what? He said, if you'll make me a cake first, God's going to take care of you. It sounds selfish, but he wasn't being selfish. He was overriding his own will. He was overriding his own flesh. He was overriding his own logic to obey what God said he's gonna do in Zarephath because miracles don't happen when everything is wide open and it looks like there's plenty. Miracles happen when you step out in faith and say, it's gonna take a miracle if it's gonna happen. It's gonna take God if it's gonna happen. Come on. Cherith was a place where he had to learn to depend on God to feed him. Zarephath is a place where he has to override himself to see a miracle in somebody else's life. And he said, bake me a cake first. She got the sticks together. She got the meal together. She mixed the oil and made the cake and she gave it to the preacher. And when she handed it to the prophet, Elijah, she turned back around and there was meal in her barrel. There was oil in her flask until the day the drought was over. She never did without bread. She never did without food because when God says he's gonna sustain you, he's going to sustain you. When God says he's gonna take care of you, he's gonna take care of you. Can you say amen? And I realize we live in the United States of luxury. United States of luxury. Our poorest are wealthy and probably one of the highest percentages of our world. We've got more. Even what you consider poor is not poor considered in third world countries. How many know it's true? We're blessed. We learn to depend upon one another. We learn to depend upon the government. We learn to depend upon everybody around us. But he had to learn to depend upon only God. 
And in that, he was able to get rid of some things in his life. There was a cutting place that said, God's going to take care of me. But when you get to Zarephath, Zarephath is a place where it changes you on the inside. It means a refining place. It means where the impurities are removed out of you. A cutting place is removing things around you. But Zarephath is a place where you get rid of the things in you that are impure. And God will not only put you in a cherith in your journey to Mount Carmel, he will put you in a Zarephath to get every weak thing out of you that's not like him so you can become what you need to be in him. And I just feel like on a Sunday night, I'm preaching to some people that believe that you can be and will be everything that God's calling you to be. You're willing to go to Cherith. You're willing to go to Zarephath so you can go to Mount Carmel. Somebody say amen. Praise God. It's not easy telling people to give. Not easy telling people to do things until God says, this is what I'm going to do. And there was a Zarephath in his life. Everybody say a refining place. That's where God purifies you on the inside. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, I want to go through whatever I need to go through to become what you want me to become. Come on, everybody in the building, oh God, I don't want to be weak when you call me to be strong. I don't want to be weak, oh God, when you called me to be strong. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody say Zarephath. There's some things you've got to cut out of your life if you want a mountaintop experience. You'll never have revival without a cherith. You'll never have a true revival without a Zarephath. How many of you have ever had a cherith in your life? I had friends I had to cut out of my life to be to where I'm at right now. I would not be in this room if I kept some of the friends I used to have. I had to have a cutting place in my life to learn to depend on the Lord. I had to have a Zarephath in my world. Where God, in a lone moment, began to stir and change things in my life to remove impurities. I don't want anything. There's a verse that says, search me, O Lord, search me. Everybody say, search me. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. My prayer about a week ago was, God, walk up and down the avenues of my soul. Go down the hallways of my life. Open up every door inside me. If there's anything in me that doesn't match up with your holiness and righteousness, I'm asking you to remove it from me. But God, I don't want to be impure in you. Lord, search me. Is there anything in me that God that's keeping me from what you called me to be? I only get one life to live to make a difference. And God, I don't want anything in me that's going to hinder me from being the blessing I'm supposed to be to my family and to be to this community and to the church I pastor. Can anybody relate with what I'm saying? Search me, God. If there's an attitude inside of me, if there's something, a flaw, some tradition I'm holding on, some rudiment of the world, something, God, that I'm trying to hold on to because it's what I've ever known. If it's keeping me from my purpose, if it's keeping me from a mountaintop caramel experience of God, then Lord, put me in a place to burn it out of me, but don't leave me here. Amen. I want to be what you want me to be. And I do believe in the end time God's looking for people that are willing to go to Cherith, willing to go to Zarephath so they can end up on the top of the mountain and have an old fashioned revival that's going to change a nation. Do you believe that? Clap your hands and praise him if you want to see an old fashioned revival. Amen, amen. I remember a revival we had when I was just a teenage boy. It blew up in my school. There was such a powerful move of God. I think there were 18 young people that came to our church were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Changed their life. They laid their sin down. They laid their drugs down. They laid their lifestyles down and started living for God. I'll never forget walking inside of a pizza shop. When I walked inside the pizza shop, I'll never forget going to the one, two of the teachers were sitting there. We walked in, they said, my goodness, you guys are on fire. Can I tell you today, church should be a place that's on fire. Young people that wanna live for God. Amen, seniors that wanna live for God. How many wanna have a church that's on fire, that's in a blaze? Then you gotta remove things that God tells you to remove. 
You're going to change in some ways that God tells you to change. I'll never forget somebody came to our church when I was a boy. My dad's church in Glen Ferris, West Virginia. And I'll never forget they showed up. And that night, the pastor of that church where they went to showed up that night. And uh, they showed up that night. And I, I um, um, remember that the pastor said to my dad, we had spies here this morning. He said, excuse me, she said, we had spies here this morning. And he said, why'd you have spies in our church for? She said, we're trying to figure out why our church is, our church is dying and yours is growing. He said, we just set ourselves on fire and people come and watch us burn. <laughs> Can I tell you, there's a Holy Ghost in fire. And it's not just getting with the beat. It is something that begins to burn down on the inside that works its way out on the outside. It is the fire of the Holy Ghost. How many know we need the Holy Ghost and fire? Why don't we jump to our feet and clap our hands and say we need the Holy Ghost and fire to begin to burn in us again. We need the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. I'm not so sure but Elisha hadn't been there at Mount Carmel. I'm coming to a close. You remain standing. I'm not so sure that Elisha hadn't been there 10 years before he was anointed by the prophet or 10 years before Elijah was taken. I preached about it this morning. I believe he might have been there because all of Israel had gathered in Samaria and watched the fire fall. I believe there was a hunger inside of him for the supernatural things of God. I'm not talking about just being faithful to the house of God. I'm talking about wanting to be used of the Lord. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, I want to be used of you. Would you do that? Lord, I want to be used of you. Oh, God, I want to be used of you, mighty God. I really do. I want to be used of you, Jesus. I want you to do things through my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Remain standing as they come to the music. There's a, there's a cherith. Everybody say cherith. Everybody say Zarephath. Don't forget there's Mount Carmel. But Mount Carmel is when everybody gets involved in sacrifice. I fear in our generation one thing that we might like is the desire to live in sacrifice. What does that mean? Giving up things you can't afford to give. Time, extra days, careers. You know why there's missions fields, Brother Tyler? Because somebody laid down their career and went on the mission field. Preachers walked away from houses they were building. God called them to other cities and they just left the house and went on and watched God do great things because they had a word from the Lord. And my fear in this generation, I'm talking about Mount Carmel, is that it's easy to live for God when you feel the blessings of the Lord and the rain is falling. But as soon as he says, sell the car and go on a youth on missions, as soon as he says, give up the career, and I want you to go to a third world country and be a missionary, that are we willing to give up our conveniences for a mountaintop revival? I preach to the American church right now, but you've got to be willing to live in sacrifice if you're ever going to see the fire fall. Come on, the cross wasn't cheap. He paid a full price. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But I do believe there's a generation that will do it. But I just believe it's not easy to do it for anybody. But I hear the voice of the Lord calling tonight because out of this church are going to come fiery evangelists in every direction. I hear an old prophecy about out of the anchor church are going to come fiery evangelists going up and down our streets and up into different communities and bringing old-fashioned revival fires that's going to happen. But it will not happen without sacrifice. Somebody say, it will not happen. It's as quiet in his ears as I've heard it in a long time. But it will not happen without sacrifice. Amen.
What if God told you to sell your Xbox and give it, give the money to the missions? Would you do it? What if God told you to sell your, turn off your Netflix and Hulu and what you're giving that to give the mission? I know we just have missions, but just listen to me. Oh, I don't know what, what, what I could do without this or do without that. He said, there's going to be a fire that's going to fall and God's about to pour fire out in our country. He said, but you got to, we need 12 barrels of water. We need some people to give that which is not convenient. We need some people to do some things. Pastor, you mean you're calling another night of prayer on a Saturday? Yeah, I am. It's not convenient at all. Call prayer meeting during, during revival, see, during the holiday season. But I believe we need to give the water portion to the Lord upon the altar. Because there's some things you got to pour out before he'll ever pour out. Amen. I watched a lady one time, her husband never lived for God. She got so desperate, she, she went seven days without food. At the end of her fast, her husband came in the church door and ran to the altar and repented of his sins. And because you can't build an altar before God and fast and pray and get nothing, something's going to happen. Elijah, just remember what I tell you. You know the mountaintop revival we had where a whole nation repented? Yes. How did it happen, Elijah? The people were willing to give what they, weren't, what they couldn't afford to give. They inconvenienced themselves to step into a move of God. And when God saw them pour out that water, it wasn't waste. It was an opportunity of faith. And when the preacher prayed, fire came out and licked up the water, licked up the wood, licked up the bullock, and licked up the stones, representing every heart and heart in Israel was about to be softened. God was about to do a new thing because they were willing to do what God asked them to do. And Elisha, you better understand something. There's going to be a moment in your life. There's cherubs in your life. There's Zarephaths in your life. But there will be Mount Carmel experiences in your life that God will ask you to do things that aren't convenient. But if you obey Him and trust Him and what He asks you to do, He'll send the fire. You know what always follows the fire on the altar? Here comes the rain. You will never give something to God that he doesn't give it all back. 12 barrels of water for the next, hire me, dozens of years of rain. I tell you, what's 12 barrels of water to a nation being preserved and a famine being removed and a nation being saved? What, what's a few prayer meetings? What's a few morning devotions? What's, what's some sacrificial offering you give to a mission? I'm gonna tell you, it's small compared to what he's gonna do with what you put on that altar. How many know it's gonna make a difference? Hallelujah. Sawyer, I want you to know what I preached this morning. I want you to know about Gilgal and, and, and forgiveness. I, I want you to know about Bethel in the house of God. I want you to know about Jericho. I preached it this morning. Jericho that he took Elisha and showed him about what worship can do. I want you to know about anointing and ministries at the Jordan River. But there's one thing I want both of you boys to know that it doesn't come easy. Mount Carmel experiences don't come just because you go to church. Somewhere God's going to ask you to give something. And there's something every generation's got to know. Your sixth generation apostolic. You got to know it's going to cost you something. Finn, it's going to cost you something. What you feel when you lift your hands in the presence of God will cost you something. If we don't, not willing to pay the price, the next generation will not have it. Somebody's got to willing to pay the price by going to the prayer room before church, by seeking God, by having fasting and prayer. But I'm telling you, if you'll fast and pray, it always works. It always makes a difference. Hallelujah. God might ask you some point in your life, buddy. I want my kids, Jillian, listen to daddy. You're blessed. You're very blessed. But you just can't be the recipient of blessing. At some point, God will say, will you give me this? Will you go here? Will you go there? And it'll be a question of inconvenience. Abraham, will you offer Isaac? Follow the blessing journey. It's always ask, God's asking, will you, are you willing to give up this? So I can give you this. How many believe that you'll never give something to God? He doesn't give you everything greater. Amen. Coming back. He just wants to know, can you trust him? 
fiery altars die, burn out, because there's no sacrifice. There's nothing convenient about altars. Nothing. Any holy rollers in the building? That's where you get up and roll over instead of pray. Hit the alarm, 10 more minutes. You got an iPhone, it's nine minutes. Nine more minutes of shut eye. That doesn't bring the fire. Rolling over is not going to bring the fire. Just showing up is not going to bring the fire. You want to bring the fire? It's when we pour some time on the altar. It's inconvenient. We're giving up something. God spoke to me one time to get to missions. And I had to go home and walk around my, my house, my yard, to see what I was going to sell to pay it. I had to go find it, find things that I was going to sell. And I did. Sold a tractor, had to sell a trailer, a hauling trailer, went around selling things that was going to inconvenience me. But I want to obey the voice of God more than I wanted to live a convenient life. Sold my tractor to give to missions at General Conference. You know, my neighbor showed up and did all my tractor work for me with their own tractors for the next several years. Powerful what God will do. And I got a tractor now. Well, what's God asking you to do to see your family saved? Because it just doesn't happen. He's always looking for someone to work through. So Elijah, will you go to Cherith? Will you go to Zarephath? Will you be willing to dump a barrel of water on the altar of the Tyler? Will you be willing to dump a barrel of water and inconvenience your life to see God do something magnificent? As I promise you, the next visitation of this church is going to be God asking you to do the inconvenient things. But if you're willing to do inconvenient things, He's going to do what you've always dreamt of Him doing in your family. And I believe you're one prayer meeting away from a revival in your family. Come on, I'm preaching to hungry people right now that you want God to save your family. You want God to save your kids. You want God. And God's asking you to inconvenience yourself. Going to church is not convenient. It'd be easier to stay home tonight. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm weary right now. I needed a good cup of coffee before I got in the pulpit. I feel like that song says, when the saints come dragging in, I'm when the preacher came dragging in tonight. It'd been, it'd been convenient to do something else. But I've learned inconveniencing things in the kingdom of God will always bring a powerful splendor of his presence into your life. Amen. Take up your cross and follow him, he said. I just want to know, is there anybody hungry for revival? Is there anybody hungry for a breakthrough? Anybody hungry for a move of God? <laughs> Hallelujah. We've got a fireplace at the house that we enjoy. And thank you for all the men that came and stacked firewood for me. Amen. I appreciate that. I've been burning a lot of wood. You know what I've learned? You want to keep the fire going, you got to keep the wood on the fire. It's inconvenient. You got to get, you got to go to bed late if you want the fire to stay burning so you have fire the next morning. You got to keep fire on it. You got to keep wood on it. Get up early in the morning. Oh, it's, it's simmering out. You got to put another log on the fire. Then another one. Then you got to go out in the cold and get more wood and walk back. It's not inconvenient. It's not convenient, excuse me, but guess what? If you don't keep wood on the fire, it goes out. I don't want my fire to go out in the kingdom of God. I don't want the fire to go out in my family. I don't want the fire to go out in my ministry. I don't want the fire of the anchor to go out. Somebody's got to be willing. You got to be willing to worship when it's inconvenient, to give when it's inconvenient, and to sacrifice when it's not convenient. I want you to lift your hands and ask God to speak to you. Lord, I ask you today, to speak to this congregation. Hallelujah. Lord, what is it you're saying to us tonight? Our church has got to learn to live in sacrifice. Certainly in blessing. We've been more blessed. But God help us to never just live in a state of lackadaisical, mediocre, complacent, 
ho-hum, lukewarm. Help us to catch on fire again. Everybody begin to lift your voice in the building. Begin to call in the name of the Lord. What would you do to see your baby saved? What would you do to see a community impacted? Hallelujah. What would you do? What would you give? What would you give up? What would you turn from to be saved? If I walk away, I walk to the Lord, I gotta walk away from friends. It's worth it. Don't let anybody keep you from going to heaven. What do you gotta give up? The Lord is quickening hearts all over this room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, Elisha. Because when you leave Bethel, you're going to Mount Carmel. That's the next place you're going to visit. And your next miracle is going to be digging a valley full of ditches and water is just going to show up. Because you learn to hear from God in drought times and tough times. Let the Lord speak to you tonight. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.